to another episode of the Freedom Talks podcast, everybody. This is your host, Joe Ogden. Today, we have another interview with one of our Freedom Physical Therapy physical therapists. And today, we're interviewing Dr. Aaron Buffuno, who is also our assistant manager here at Fox Point. Super excited to have Aaron on today and with her busy schedule. For those that are listening that know Aaron, she's also expecting a baby very soon. So hopefully, we get to talk about that a little bit. So I'm very thankful that she was able to fit in an interview with her busy schedule. So without further ado, here is our interview with Aaron. Aaron, hello. Hey, Joe. Thank you for coming on today with us. As I said, I know your schedule is super busy, mm-hmm. especially with going on maternity leave in how long? T-minus five weeks. Aaron's about to welcome their second child. Well, less than that, but less than, I have the baby in theory five weeks, but done here in about three, four weeks. How do you feel? Um, you know, it's the holidays, so everything is crazy, and trying to get all of the things ready for the holidays and move my three-year-old into her own room, and then also get ready for a baby, and then try to hand off all my patients to people and make sure they're with like a suited person that knows how to take care of them, and it's something that that PT has a specialty or something in, so we all kind of have our own little niches and groups of people here that we work with, so it's a little harder to try to hand people off. Because I'd feel really guilty if I left and had not put someone in like good hands that they felt comfortable with. So it's like very weird, but thinking of your patients almost like your own children. Like you just want to make sure they're well cared for when you leave. So that's a whole other stressor that you don't even really think about um, when you're going to be gone for a little bit of time. And as I said at the beginning, Erin, on top of being a therapist here at Freedom, she's also our assistant clinic manager, which also comes with other responsibilities which include making the aid schedule on top of being gone as well on maternity leave. Yes, and doing all their training and making sure they're all set and ready to go before I leave so that there's less concerns and things while I'm gone. So a lot of that, a lot of that going on. But there's 24 hours in a day, so there's, there's, there's time for things to be done. And yeah, it'll all get done. It'll all get done when it needs to get done. Aaron, let's start with, tell us a little bit about, you know, your education, why you wanted to become a physical therapist. I know you've been treating now for eight years now. Almost so I know 10. that Almost 10. I've so, been here for 10, it'll be 10 years in June. So I know it's obviously a little long time going back, but let's start with the basic stuff. Tell us, you know, where you went to school, you know, why you wanted to be a physical therapist and then how you ended up at Freedom. So my mom is a physical therapy assistant and has been since probably her 20s or 30s. So she's been practicing for a really long time. So I had a, one of my aunts had muscular dystrophy. So that's actually how my mom got into physical therapy as my mom was the youngest in her family. And they had both of her parents, my grandparents were just like really hardworking, had their own businesses. So my mom actually ended up caring for my aunt quite a bit and did a lot of her assisted driving with her wheelchair and getting her set up in a lot of the devices and bracing that she needed. Um, So really fun fact of the day for people that know the Milwaukee brace. My aunt was one of the first people ever fitted for a Milwaukee brace. Oh, wow. Cool. Which is like kind of an interesting fun fact. Um, She did a lot of like in the at the time they were called like disabled pageants so she won actually quite a few pageants back in the day um she died i believe at when she was 19 or 20 so she passed away 
well before I was born, but that was how my mom kind of got started into PT. So my mom did quite a bit of home health and then did work hardening or work conditioning. So she did a lot of hands-on work and physical like training with people. And that was my first experience of seeing PT was when she was in work hardening. So I was probably in like seventh grade and this was well before all of the HIPAA rules, which now like this probably wouldn't be allowed today, but you could bring your daughter to work on bring your daughter to work day. So I actually went to my mom's work on bring your daughter to work day. And that day my mom was like working with firefighters and like police officers and like bricklayers. And in that type of field, she's truly the last step before they go back to their job and to clear them to be able to safely return. So the firefighter was carrying around, his name was called Randy. He was like an 80 pound pretend human that they they taped sandbags to. So throwing the sandbag Randy over their shoulder and they had to climb up into the ceiling on a fire on a, a ladder. And then you'd have the police officers like running around the building, like rolling around. And then the bricklayers like literally lifting just 10 pound weights, 50 pound weights, stacking them on top of each other. It was just such a cool way to see like real functional training get put into something. And it kind of just like looked like a really fun job. So at the end of the day, I was like, my mom is helping people truly get back to their job, get back to their families, get back to doing something that that was kind of what piqued my interest. So I ended up working at PT clinics all through high school. As soon as I basically could get a job permit, I started working there and worked all through high school and college. But at that point, I pretty much had decided almost in seventh grade that I wanted to be a PT. So a very early aggressive choice, but um, so happy I did. And I ended up applying to, and I got into Marquette's direct admit PT program. So they have a program where you can finish in six years with your doctorate. So it's a three-year undergrad and then three-year graduate and doctorate program, um, which is really nice because you just go straight on through and... So I graduated in 2014, and then I started working at Freedom in June of 2014. So I've been here ever since. How did you get hooked up with Freedom? Like, did you know anybody, or did you just see that they were hiring? So that's a good question now that's been so long. So my mom also had worked in the work hardening group she worked for actually was owned by a private practice individual. So if she wasn't working on the work hardening side, she also was working in the outpatient orthopedic setting. And then the work hardening clinic was not too far from the clinic I had worked at, which was an outpatient orthopedic clinic private practice. So I personally had seen the ins and outs and I had basically grown up knowing a whole private practice setting. So I had originally looked for and wanted to start working in private practice over a bigger company. So I had searched for, and I think I had only applied for two jobs because unfortunately when I had graduated, the market was really saturated. So a lot of the other schools around here had started um, accepting and graduating DPT students. So there were actually not a lot of jobs and most places wouldn't hire somebody unless they had three to five years of experience. I think it's still the same way now. Yes. And um, the only place I could really get a job other than that would be if I was a pool therapist, which means you just kind of float around and they put you wherever you need. And that was only in a hospital setting, which I really enjoyed. I loved the hospital setting I had. I did one at Northwestern in Lake Forest and I did that for two months. I loved it. I think I would have stayed there if I hadn't, I would have probably gone back to apply for a job there if I had not gotten anything here. Cause I did really like the setting I was in. I liked the people I worked with and I loved the patients I saw. It was not something I ever thought I would see myself doing when I originally started in PT, but 
I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. So, um, it was just a hard market to get into and there were not many places looking to hire. So one girl, one person I knew who was a year ahead of me at Marquette had posted on our Facebook group from my class and said, we're looking to hire somebody. And that's how I started the interview process. And I know there were a lot of people interviewing at the time. So somehow I was lucky enough to be the one they offered the job to. So, um, Hopefully the feelings are mutual that they're happy I'm still here and that I'm happy I was the one that got the job because again here I am ten years later I, it's like makes me when I was a little sick to my stomach that now I've been treating for ten years that it's been that long but it's been a good ten years. Well, I feel like you and I are very similar at Freedom and he, we've talked multiple times about this this topic. Private practice is really hard I think for new grads. We've talked about the challenges yeah. and you and I both just because we're talking about this now as well as a couple other therapists here, but we were hired here without any experience. Mm -hmm. I think even for freedom, they ideally in job postings in the past have wanted three to five years of experience because you just have a more experienced clinician. But I think it's also a challenge from the employer side of things as well. It's scary probably in terms of an employer because you really don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. And truthfully, you can graduate just like any job. There are good, there are good accountants and there are bad accountants. Yeah. There are good IT people, there are bad IT people. And then just like PTs, there are good PTs. And I always, my one thing I will always say, no matter if I have a patient come in, is I always say, I don't believe that there are bad PTs. I think it's a bad system. So I don't think there are necessarily people that like hate their job and don't want their patients to get better. It's the system or like the situation they're in that doesn't allow them to do their job well. And luckily in private practice, as much as we have a lot of negatives just in terms of reimbursement and there's always hoops to go through. Yep. There's always hoops to go through and we have our own problems that we don't encounter a lot of the problems that some of the big hospital systems have. Um, but some of the problems that we do have are more associated with that we're small. So it's you. It's really a big gamble to hire somebody and not know if they're good or not. And if you have somebody, you want somebody that can come on and then can almost start not necessarily running. We've hired plenty of new grads since I was hired and we have a pretty good system of having them shadow and make sure that they have some mentoring time if they need it. But you truly don't know until you get them here that I can see why it's such a, it's, it's hard and you don't necessarily always want to hire new grads and necessarily working in private practice. Also, you don't see a huge price tag either from the PT standpoint. So you come out of school with a lot of loans and in private practice, we generally make a little less than people do in the hospital. So that's not necessarily something that's drawing a lot of people here either. Um, which I don't blame them because I realize student loans are more than probably what I paid 10 years ago. So it's, it's a hard it's a hard thing to see it's a hard thing to do where you'd rather go somewhere with a flashy sign on bonus or you'd rather go somewhere that's got an, enough money backed up to be able to offer something large um, where I we I live I can live comfortably with what I have and you just live within your means but I love my job and I love where I work I like having a say in what I do and I like having the independence to have the time with my patients to actually take care of them and I feel good about my job like I feel good about what I do I I don't feel like I'm cheating them. I don't feel like 
I actually feel like I'm helping them versus I don't think I would be able to do that or say that comfortably in a different setting. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's what is so nice and unique about freedom and that one-on-one time. I think it just allows for us a to express our skills with people, get to know them and what they need and deliver the care that they need in the time being. Now, Aaron, you're not just a physical therapist. Tell us about what else you do with Marquette still, which I think is, I'll get to why I think it's so cool. Yeah. So I started probably four or five years ago. One of the professors at Marquette asked me to come back if I was available if and if I was interested to come back and help teach in their orthopedics program. So here at Freedom, as a private practice clinic, we are an orthopedic base, meaning we treat a lot of joints and muscles and more like functional based. I hurt my back. I hurt my knee. So we're not seeing somebody from pneumonia like you would in the hospital. We're seeing more on the other side of like physical injuries. So they have an orthopedics class where they learn all of those things. So they learn how to assess it and then we teach them the basics. So the mashed potatoes and steak of it. So nothing crazy, nothing that you would learn in a continuing education class. It's all the basics of how you treat a hip. How do you look at it? How do you determine what's wrong? And then what your treatment plan is after that. Um, So I help teach in their program. So I don't do their syllabus. I don't do any of their physical lecturing, but I go back and I teach in their physical lab portion. So it's really fun. Once a week I go for about six hours and treat two different lab groups with a couple other PTs in the city that also work at other private practice practice clinics. And we teach them basically all the manual hands-on skills that you would need. And so we're there walking through. We teach them, show them, and then have them practice so we go around correct answer questions so that they physically get that practice before they actually get out in the clinic and have to do it in the real world do you feel like or how long have you been doing that first um i think i think i just finished my fourth year do you do you feel like it's also helped you as a clinician to stay on top of all your skills because i feel like we learn so much and we'll get to this too i mean you take you treat so much too i feel like we get so in depth so fast sometimes that oftentimes the basic stuff we take for granted that sometimes just kind of slips correct through the cracks. I think something that is like, it's, I'm true. I'm sure it's true in like every sort of like specialty field or any sort of medical field is you're always trying to learn the next best thing. That's going to fix all of your patients. There's not one thing that's going to fix all of your patients. I say that all the time. That's the hardest thing is you think, I mean, as a PT, I feel like every day I'm in competition with myself. How many patients can I make better today? Not only because I want to make them better, but it's also a competition with yourself. I'm very type A. I'm a very driven person. I just, but I also want to make sure that a patient's getting better. So it is like that almost like self-competition, but you can't make everybody better. Like I wish I could, but I can't. The more tools you have, or again, you pay $700 to take a class and this is going to heal every patient you've ever seen. And you get that message a lot after you come out of school. And when you come out of school, like, you know a lot, but you don't feel confident in your skills or how to put it together. Truly, I always say PT is an art and a science. You have to take the science, but you have to put your own art to it because that's how you become a good clinician. And that's how you help your patients is you could read all the research and you can regurgitate all of that back to them all you want. But if you can't put all the pieces together in a way they understand it and how it's going to help that person individually, 
you will only help a small percentage of your patients. So going back and teaching the class, not only has it been, I don't want to say a refresher, but it makes you go back and learn the basics again. I've taken a lot of really hard continuing ed classes and I've really gravitated towards a lot of those techniques in the last probably five to seven years, but the basics are the basics and we still teach them for a reason. So the the things I'm teaching in the class today are almost the same exact things that I was taught in the class when I took it over like 13 years ago. But the reason we still teach it is because you have to teach the basics before you teach the hard stuff is you can't skip it. Everybody has to learn it and you have to be good at the basics before you do the hard stuff or otherwise the hard things and the more complicated things are going to blow right over your head and you're actually not going to get the benefit from the harder treatment techniques if you can't physically do the basic part. So doing that and also trying to teach somebody how to do a mobilization or teaching someone how to assess something when you've been doing it for so long is actually really hard to do and it makes you really think about what are you looking at because I don't have to explain it to somebody when I'm doing it in the clinic they just see me do it and I move on but in the classroom I have to tell them why because they don't know why and if the more they understand the better off they'll do on their exams the better off they'll do on their clinicals so all those pieces really help not only their learning experience but I think it's helped me learn better also how to take care of my patients and treat them because now I've gotten a little bit I've added a little more finesse to my easy stuff which again just I think only improves the patient's outcome and something Erin won't touch on because she won't say it Erin also brings that teaching to the clinic just by how she acts I've said this on other podcasts if you've listened I think Erin is one of the from the basic standpoint of you have to be good at your job from the basic knowledge of doing basic things and then building upon that Erin shows that just the way she Erin knows so much uh, for as a clinician I definitely think Erin sets the standard for this is how you should from a baseline be as a treating therapist and you need to build off of that and Erin never deviates from that every day she comes in and she's the same person that standard is pretty high I think a lot of other places doesn't do that and Erin will never say that about herself so what's cool for me being a new grad and I thought this from day one is like wow Aaron's really good is you have to be good all the time no matter what and you just build upon that so I think also for patients coming in I think that's super uh, reassuring and the patients that we share back and forth is like I really have to be on top of my game as well because I know Aaron always is gonna do that which is really cool thank you again Aaron's never gonna say that about herself (laughs) Aaron tell us a little bit too because you also I mean, you treat so much mm-hmm. from TMJ to headaches to concussions to craniosacral, pelvic floor. I mean, tell us a little bit, dry needling as well. I mean, kind of touch on all the different presentations that you like treating and that you can treat as well. I do think it's funny that I've started doing a lot of this work at Marquette and teaching orthopedics because I do feel like a lot of my um, clinical treatment actually has been gearing a little bit away from orthopedics, interestingly. Yeah, especially Um, as of late, right? As of late, in the last like two to three years, probably. I still utilize a lot of it in the clinic, but I would say in a much smaller percentage of perhaps maybe what I was doing before. So in terms of standard orthopedic clinics, we're manual-based clinics. So in terms of soft tissue work, mobilizations of the joints, um, muscle energy techniques, some manipulation type work, again, mixture of dry needling. So I'm dry needling certified and have been doing that for at least eight years now. And 
I think all of that's great, but a lot of my clinic caseload has shifted. So I do still see back pain. I still do see a lot of headaches, um, see a lot of migraines. And again, just migrainous individuals, people have different types of headaches. But in the last couple of years, especially since COVID, seeing people that have had COVID-related issues, another thing I've seen a lot of is a lot of people that end up on the hypermobility spectrum. So people that have Marfans, Lowe's Dites, um, Alostanlos, or people that don't necessarily have a genetic disorder diagnosed, but do tend to fall into that hypermobility spectrum, um, which a lot of people that do fall on that spectrum also tend to have secondary diagnoses of, I think I mentioned POTS already, so that's postural orthostatic tachycardic syndrome. A lot of people post-COVID, especially if they are in the quote-unquote childbearing years, so we're looking between 15 and like 55, a large amount of people have ended up testing positive for POTS ever since they did have a COVID exposure of some point, so trying to help people maintain some level of functionality after a diagnosis of POTS where they pretty much are fatigued constantly, can't stand up without feeling like they're going to pass out and lose a lot of the ability to be independent during a day. Um, so that has kind of led to a little bit of a shift in some of the classes that I've taken over the last couple of years. So I recently took some craniosacral work, craniosacral therapy. We have one therapist at our grafting location that does the, that and has done quite a few classes on it. And myself and one other therapist here took the initial course this summer, which has been actually very eye-opening. Going to the class, I will honestly say it, I kind of felt like it was going to be a little bit of voodoo therapy, but I've heard it works really well for a lot of people, which is why I was interested in it. And because a lot of what I see is just kind of interesting things. And unfortunately, the type of patients that I'm seeing, most people think they're crazy or are faking it or they're making it up and it's not real. So, because you can't objectively see a lot of these correct. symptoms, right? They're called and it's they're called like invisible diseases because it's not something we can look on an MRI or a CT scan and see. We can't run a blood test and say you have it. We pretty much have a checkbox, and if you fall into most of the checkboxes, you end up saying maybe you have it. But not every doctor feels comfortable diagnosing somebody with it because once you put somebody in that box, they're in that box forever. Yep. And if it's not something they've seen, they don't feel comfortable diagnosing it. So it becomes a challenge for patients that really just want to have, they want to know they have something. Yeah. Like they just want to have a name for it. They want to know why and start down a path because otherwise they're just in this tunnel that has no end. And at least there's something that gives them some light. Again, it doesn't have to mean they're healed, but that they know that someone knows something about what they're dealing yeah. with and that they're not faking it. I think that's the worst thing to like go into a doctor's office and have someone not believe what you're saying and they think you're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, which is just not, it happens to so many patients that do fall into this hypermobility spectrum or that have POTS. Um, it's just a really, really tough diagnosis to have because they're, again, they call them invisible diseases. Yeah. Um, so that's partially why I started looking into the craniosacral work and why I've started it. So I've been utilizing it for over six months now and it's fascinating. The idea behind it is you're supposed to be moving around and helping promote like normal movement of your cerebrospinal fluid. So if you were to talk to various people in Western medicine versus Eastern medicine and people who are in like really heavily into medical field and, and, and the anatomy of it, a lot of people probably say it's not real because it's pretty hard to prove that it's happening. But now that I've taken the class and I've felt the motion, I don't, I think scientifically it's probably hard to do in a study, but now that I felt it, I've 
you can feel you can feel the fluid moving you can feel how it presents itself in the body and in theory if this the cerebrospinal fluid which is what coats it's all throughout our nervous system it's th- along the spinal cord it's created in the brain and our ventricles and is pumped through our body and you can feel how it projects itself through all of the limbs and if there's a clog somewhere if it's not moving well if it's not symmetrical from side to side or if it's not moving at a normal rhythm then that can show its itself in other ways throughout the body so again people who have headaches chronic pain there's various things that they do say it also works for so it can work really well for people that have had injuries to the spinal cord before. Again, that's not something that I would say six months and I feel comfortable looking at. But in terms of patients I see that have migraines or people that have had some post-COVID-related symptoms or have POTS is the body feels like it's under attack. And when you've had chronic pain or any side of prolonged situation where your body feels like it's had so much and it doesn't know what to do with it, our body has those two types of autonomic nervous system pieces where it either goes into this fight or flight or rest and digest. When you're constantly in pain and you don't feel good and every part of your body doesn't know what's happening, you're constantly in this sympathetic pathway where your body's always trying to fight something, do something, Almost like if you had to run away from a bear in two seconds, that's that sensation. And your heart rate's racing, can't get your blood pressure down. Um, So that's more of like what this is supposed to be kind of geared towards is for people that have some of that difficulty switching out of that sympathetic response is at least in terms of patients I've used it for it seems to be people that patients of mine that have anxiety plus have chronic pain plus have headaches plus have low back pain and then they also have a lot of these issues that are happening in their family life and it seems like so many of the external things which totally makes sense are exacerbating their symptoms exacerbating pain exacerbating fainting spells that that's where the craniosacral stuff really seems to come in and help because it helps them it helps it's supposed to help shift the body into that parasympathetic or that rest and digest so interestingly as we do the treatment i'm listening for am i starting to hear their stomach digestive noises go which sounds so weird and people are like oh i'm sorry i'm really hungry or like oh i didn't eat i'm like no that's like we want to hear that that means your body's doing what it's supposed to is And you're waiting for that deep breath too, right? Yep. So you're listening for breath sounds. You're listening for any sort of changes. Every person's going to be a little bit different. I like to listen for the digestive noises and the breath work. There's a lot of other things you can look at, but those changes indicate that the body has naturally on its own shifted itself out of that state. So if you can calm your body down and shift out of that, your hormones are going to modify and really relax and calm down. So, um... Your body's not always going to be shifting into that high, 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 almost like freak out reaction. I don't know why it's doing that all of a sudden. Don't worry about it, though. Um, So for someone like you, what I find is interesting is being type A, like objectively and sharing evaluations with you, which also has helped me be like, okay, look at this stuff. Make sure you measure this stuff. How do you do that with craniosacral? Um, that's a toughie. Because I feel like for you, that's also, or anybody that's type A, which is physical therapy, I think in a nutshell, more type A than type B. How do you objectify or show even patients progress or that, yes, this is working? Because I love craniosacral. That's my next on my to-do list, hopefully shortly, where I can be like, oh, I feel that that's better. I can tell you that's better. But how do you 
show patients that are like, well, I want to, I want a number, I want a strength or how do, how do you do it? So the pieces that I, I will tell the patient on what, I, what truly what I feel. So I go there at least with what I feel, but my tagline that I usually say to all of my patients, and if anybody's listening to this, you're going to laugh because you probably heard me say it at least one or a hundred times is as much as it matters what I feel, I don't care what I feel. I matter what it care. It's more matters what you feel Mm -hmm. and how you feel at the end of the session and how you feel during the week. So in terms of evaluations, like again, I hate to keep saying the word functional because that's all PTs talk about, but a lot of the patients I'm doing it on are people that have headaches or that physically like can't sit because they're in too much pain or a patient that physically can't get in a car because they're too scared that their back is going to hurt too much. So can't was someone able to partially do a wall sit in a semi seated and like in a semi sitting position but without weight on their butt after we did the exercise where we try it before we try it after and then we see if they can continue it through the week if they're having five headaches a week and the week after they only have three that's a huge win and they're like but i still had three headaches i go no you didn't but i still had three headaches it's i only had three headaches and i think changing that verbiage and having a patient understand that I would love for everybody's symptoms to go away tomorrow. Like if I could have someone walk in today and I could treat them and they are all healed in a day, that would, I mean, that would be amazing. I tell people that all the time too and how easy our job would be and their job would be, it'd be. But we'd also have a line out the door. Like this is not miracles. I say I get like 10 to 20 miracles a year where I literally treat someone once and they're healed. And I always say that has to be the perfect metabolic storm is their body is ready. And again, like my job, we are not fixing them. We are telling their body how to fix itself. So again, we are not God or whatever you believe in. We are not magically fixing them. We are showing the body how to fix itself. And that is the cool thing about our bodies is when you also take that ego part of it out of it, which I think comes with time because you want to be a little bit full of yourself when you start to have a conf- to have confidence. But when you take that piece out and you just try to listen to the body and then teach the patient how to listen to their body is the better off everybody will become. It becomes a better working relationship between you and your patient. But then it also helps them notice the small things. So also cueing into like, yeah, I want to know how much pain you were in, but I also don't. I want to say what felt good this week. So usually I'll say, how are you today? What felt good this week? As I'll start that, if they say nothing, then we go back to the drawing board and we see where we're at. But if you change your wording and you really help everybody think about it, our body will always think to the negative before it thinks to the positive. And any change or a sign improve improvement in the right direction means we're doing something the right way. If there was no change, again, that's a back to the drawing board situation or not that I'm going to blame it on a patient, but like, what did you do in the last week? What was out of the ordinary this week? What happened? Again, pain is not just a physical factor. It is mental, emotional. It's your history. It's there's so many things that play into a pain response in somebody that you have to look at all of those pieces. But no matter what, having someone focus on like, what's one thing you want to get better or three things you want to get better and did anything change for the better? Even if it was 10% improvement, 10% improvement is that objective measure you're looking for. So I'm looking for fluid movement and doesn't look the same on each side, but I want to know if their headaches are better or if at the end of the day, could they like hold their head up without having to use their hands at the dinner table with their family? So it's more like things that are meaningful to them 
and trying to be specific with where do those things come in. And sometimes you don't find that for a handful of visits until someone mentions it and you're like, oh, you've never mentioned that before. They're like, yeah, but that really bothers me. And sometimes that's trust. And once you get to know a patient, they eventually share more of that with you over time. And that's where you end up really getting I don't want to say to the root of the problem, but if that's something that really bothered them and they never told you that before, that becomes now your new goal of how do we yeah. get you there. And that's when a lot of that trust comes with the patient where they like, oh, they're listening. Like they're actually listening to what I'm saying. Like as in the patient's thinking that yeah. we're listening <laughs> and someone's listening to me and we can actually move forward and actually make make some headway in the problems that are actually bothering them, not just, oh, what's your pain? Are you numbness or tingling? Um, can you get through your day? Like, again, those are important, but it's a lot of times it's those like mental, physical, emotional pieces of like sitting at dinner table with your family, not holding your head up. Like those are huge for some people. Yeah. Aaron, I always like to end podcasts with the same question to our interviews so far, because I think if you've listened to a podcast or any of them, I think our personal lives really go into our professional lives as healthcare providers. And I think your answer, based on what you've said so far, I really think you're going to add just to the list of everyone else who I think fall into this category as well. What motivates you to be a better person or physical therapist? Mm. And I say it or, cause I, I really think that they overlap a lot, even though you've basically said your answer this entire podcast. Mm. I think my job is truly a privilege, like getting to meet new people and listen to other people's lives every day. So on top of like they come to me and they think that I'm helping them, I think I have learned so much about myself and about life and about how to be, actually how to be a better person when you have other people coming in and seeing not only troubles that people go through, but how people manage their pain and deal with their pain. Like everybody has a struggle in life. And if we can make one little change in that and make their life a little bit easier, like that's always my goal is everybody has a story. So even when you have a, someone that comes in and is like not happy, I've had this patients come in and yell at you for something and it's not your fault. It's not anything, but it has helped me become so much more empathetic. And the more empathy you have for people, I think just makes the world a better and brighter place, but also wants me to be a better person as well is if you realize like, most people aren't being mean to be mean. They're being mean because something bad happened to them or that something's going on in their life and that's why it's happening. And again, most of the people we see are in a lot of pain. So that's why they're coming in. And if they're not happy and if they're not your best friend and they don't want to chit chat with you, like that's totally fine. That's not what our job is anyway. But it has really helped me become more aware of just how someone's acting at that one point. You can't judge them based off of that moment. And then that's why you then want to help Again, we're not mental therapists, we're not psychologists, but really trying to listen and be aware of their issues goes into their physical well-being as well. So I don't know if that really answered the question, but it did. very long-winded. It did. It's the answer I expected. And like I said, you've talked about this the whole time. I really think, again, our professional and personal lives really overlap, and your entire answer just prove that. Aaron, thank you for sitting down and fitting in this podcast. I know no, with your super you. busy schedule, it's hard to get it in, but thank you so much. I appreciate sitting at this point of my pregnancy. So thank you for having me. If anybody has any questions, please reach out to us at one of our four locations, either here at Fox Point in Grafton, Brookfield, or McGuanago. And thanks for listening to another episode and we'll see everybody next week. Mm -hmm.